We hear the stories all the time. Man gets 20 to life for deadly assault or women sentenced to 10 years for drug trafficking. More men and women are being sent to jail or prison every day, and even more are simply sitting in jails to await their trials. Why are there so many people behind bars? And what really goes on behind those iron doors? Better yet, what happens when the people get out? The only way to know is to go straight to the source. This is Justice Uncovered. Most people have heard of medical mishaps and misdiagnoses, but this guest, he lived it all out during his time in prison. I was truly alarmed by how bad it got. Dive in as we discuss his life leading up to his imprisonment, as well as the experiences he faced once behind bars. Fair warning, you're in for a shocker. First, I would just want to establish this. Are you comfortable with this interview being shared publicly for the purposes of the podcast? Because this will be posted. Are you comfortable with that? Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Just make sure I get the podcast um, information so I can listen to it and, and have other people that need to hear it as well tap in. Yes, sir. So I'll start with some basic information. What line of work do you have right now? Well, right now I'm a full-time student at a college, and my line of work is um, I'm a minister. I'm an associate minister at my church. Assistant minister, I'm sorry. Okay. Now, in regards to your previous incarceration, how long were you incarcerated for? I was incarcerated for a total of 22 years. All right. What was the, if you don't mind my asking, of course. Sure, answer What were you incarcerated for? Um, Valorious assault with a firearm and convicted felon of a um, firearm. I had continuous records of that. They call it career criminal. Okay. So your sentence was multiple within that time frame or was it just kind of continuous it was like a year for the first time for a firearm when just getting caught one and then i became a felon in possession of firearm and then once i called the felonious assault the firearm i would put the whole stretch on the end of it okay so in all i did 25 years but my last stretch was just straight 22 okay how old were you when you were first incarcerated the very first time 18. You were 18 years old? Yes, ma'am. All right. So upon your release from prison, about how old were you? Like upon your release completely? Upon my release completely, I was, I would say, 42 or 42. Okay. So that kind of covers the basic information in terms of factual questions However, I want to get to know your real story because that only covers the basic facts, but I want to know the story behind all those. You mean like you mean, you mean like what led me to going to prison? Like what did I actually do? You speaking about all of it. Your story and some the your experience before that, what happened while you were there, all of it. That's my whole life story, basically. Hey <laughs> 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 man, all right, I got you. Um, let's see. I come from a good family. I come from a um, a family that was that that was good. I, it wasn't that I didn't have a mother in one house and a dad in another house. Both of my parents were in the same house, so 
uh, family always been about family, but I still chose the decisions I chose as far as the things I did. I still chose to run the streets. I played the sports through high school and during high school, I boxed when I got out of high school and all this, but I still liked it, the streets. That once I leave the gym, I go home, shower, change clothes, I'm in the streets. Two, I just got to take my alpha male mentality, if that's my uh, proper opinion, but just take my alpha male mentality and got a group of people to follow me where we all was on the same understanding, same accord. And, you know, they call it games, but we was more of a family than a gang. But it did that. anyway, that's what it was, just to keep it all the way real. That's what it was. And we wasn't gangs that was doing the things that gangs today is doing. We was more like the bullies, bullies. You know what I'm talking about? We was bullies, bullies. We wanted to beat up the ones that thought they was bad. The ones that thought they were tough. We, our gang, our set was like, we just like to go to house parties because house parties was big back in our day. Mm-hmm. We just like to go to house parties and dance and, and and just drink and talk to girls. You know what I'm saying? But that's what we was about. But then, like I say, envy and jealousy turned us into a game where we had to get to fighting and we we fighting. And then things got from one thing to another where weapons get involved. But what, what led me to my situation was in the process of us fighting one night, and this was like 1988, I had got shot. So when I got shot, my whole mindset changed from fighting to doing what they're doing now. They want to shoot, I want to shoot, because I'm not going to get shot again. It hurts. Right. So I started, so I started carrying guns. And I was my first choice was to always fight, but then when it got too hot, it was doing other things outside of what we was doing, and I started back shooting back. So I get caught with mine, um, get caught with a pistol. I didn't shoot anyone this time. I just got caught with mine. Right. Got a little time for it, which was really like a slap on the wrist. And then give me some stipulation, probation, completed all that. But I'm still haven't changed my mindset. Mm-hmm. So I'm back into the streets doing the same thing. Get into a, a altercation. We everybody get to shooting. I get caught with mine. So I do another slap on the wrist, basically. Right. And I don't know what was taking the process so long, but my mindset still wasn't changed. And this is who I was now. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. So the last altercation, um, I had a, um, a van. And uh, someone, you know how you're coming out of a restaurant and you see your interior lights go out, but you know ain't nobody in the car but you? Yes. That was the situation. I'm coming out, I'm coming out of being in barbecues and I see... My interior light of my van go off. So I put my foot, my food on the on the ground. I walk around to the back of the van and I see a guy running across the street. Look in the van, he didn't ramshack my van, trying to take my radio out or something. So I just get to shooting at him and I shot him. Warren's out for my arrest. They come and get me, pick me up for it behind it. After the retaliations of everything where his people's looking for me and I'm looking for them and you know how that goes. So um I ended up getting arrested. I ended up going to jail for it. Um, he come in, he testified. So I ended up going to jail. Now I'm in prison. And when I get to prison, I start out in the state first. I did my little time in, in the state doing in the state prison. And I was still into me, meaning that my mindset was still what my mindset was. But this time now my anger was towards the guards. It was toward the system. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because now you're no longer a man in their sight. You're just a child, but the one talking to you is younger than you. You feel me? Yeah. He just made the right choices coming out of high school. And he's still wet behind the ears. He don't know nothing. He hasn't been nothing but just what the training is taught him to be where he at or it's him getting a high school diploma or doing whatever he did. Mm-hmm. And I felt disrespected in that manner because I'm not one for disrespect. So my anger really came at the system because I don't like the way that they, they try to strip a man of being a man. Right. The process of going in there, you know what I'm saying? The process of going there the way you have to strip yourself and literally letting them, excuse me, play in your, in your rectum or whatever, thinking you got some just coming in. Like, that, I felt that was disrespectful, but that's what they have to do, I guess, because people was taking advantage of certain situations to where I guess they found it before like that. But that was one of my biggest issues. So then, when, like I said, when I got to the state, it was now no longer where you was fighting against people in your own city. Now you're fighting with people from other cities, meaning Akron, Youngstown, Toledo, Canton. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Then that's another big, it's a bigger gang situation. Now that's for real, for real, because now you got dudes from your city representing the Bloods or Crips and Vice Lords or whatever gang is popping or whatever it is or folks or whatever they whatever they into though they into but you have them in every city right but now it's a turn into a, a gang thing where i'm not affiliated with that i don't believe in none of that because i know for sure ain't none of that from cleveland so i got to separate myself now this is what my mindset is starting to change because i'm not going to let people jack off my time what i mean by jack off my time mess up my time or give me added on time right so i now i feel back now, now my now my mindset is the same mindset I first had on the street was getting dudes with the same understanding and let's get them going to the way we're supposed to go. Let's get them to delete and do this, that, and the third. So now we conscious-minded people. Right. So after I get through my time in the, in the state, when I'm going to get released, the feds come and get me because now the feds pick me up and charge me for the prior weapons I had. They let me do my state time first and then they come and get me for their case that they charge me with as well. The career criminal uh, with the with the firearm situation. I had three of them. Wow. So now they didn't pick me up, so now I'm going to the feds. Never got to come home. I just was able to go back to the county to come back to Lorraine just to see the parole board so they can turn me over to the feds. So now I'm, I'm in the feds. And um, the feds, like I say, just like I told you when you get into the state, now it's cities against cities in Ohio. Now you're dealing with states. So now that situation is similar to the to the um, state jail, but the feds jails is different because now you have state against state, right? And Muslims, where where the Muslims had their own clique for the ones that was snitching and telling and needing support, or people that were scared to to walk the compound, they all become Muslim. So now you have the Muslims that's a gang over here, then you have. The biggest gangs is out of New York because they New York is just a big city. Then Baltimore, Maryland, they got their own thing. You got the Hispanics in there and the Serenios uh, and all the Mexican gangs and all them in there. So now you really have to live back to the mentality that I had when I was in prison. This was my mindset. The mentality I had when I was in jail, I mean, on the street. Now I have to get back into that mentality because in the, in the feds, if you're weak, they're going to they're gonna dog you. They're going to take advantage of you. Right. So now I'm back into a mindset where now I'm really playing with my life because 
either I want to do right or I'm going to continue to do wrong. But I continue to choose to do wrong to save my life. Meaning that I'm not going to let nobody do nothing to hurt me because, like I said, I love my family. I'm already hurting my family enough with the things I'm going through. I'm already hurting my family with the things that I'm taking them through. So I don't want to continue to hurt them to where I end up losing my life in prison. Right. So I got into the Word of God to find peace. Now, through the process of that, I'm playing sports down there. I broke my foot where I thought I had. I knew something was wrong with my foot because I couldn't walk on it. I go to the infirmary, and I'm telling them, I say, something is wrong with my foot. I can't walk. So you look at it, oh, it's swollen. It's wrong. I said, I know it's swollen. So they do x-rays. They come back and they tell me I had a gout. Stop eating this, stop eating this, stop eating this. Everything you tell me not to eat, I don't eat because at the time I knew I had high blood pressure. And I was a diabetic. Diabetic. Mm-hmm. So he said, stop eating this, stop eating this. So I said, all right, I'll stop eating that. Time goes on. My foot still don't, don't not working well. I can't stand on it. I can't walk in steady swelling up. So I have to, have to get a medical pass away from work because I was working in child in the kitchen. So I got a pass away from work. Mm-hmm. Time went on to where now my foot healed up, but it's healed up crooked. So I go back and I'm telling him now, like, why well, my foot like this? So he said he put it in the gout. Come to find out later on down the line, years later, years later, when I got transferred, that I had broke my foot. And they let it heal up wrong, steady standing gout instead of really having someone look at the x-rays. So the medical attention in there is not no good. Wow. I lost my kidney. I lost my kidney while in prison. Mind you, I did all this time in prison. They knew I had high blood pressure. They knew I had diabetes. I had to go take my medicine every day as far as diabetes go down. I was taking insulin. I had to take it every day in the infirmary, in, in the nurse's office. Mm-hmm. So they knew this. And I'm steady seeing the doctor for diabetes and then um, high blood pressure. They never upped my doses on my blood pressure medication, so they ended up letting my kidneys die. So I got transferred to um, Devon's up in Boston. At first, this time, I was in Allenwood in Pennsylvania. Then I got transferred to Devon's up in Boston, which is a medical hospital. Now they explained to me why I'm there because I'm in um, Reno failure, stage four Reno failure. My, my kidney's about to go out. So in the process, my kidney's about to go out. Now they watch me more. And they're, they call themselves watch me more, but they wasn't. That one night, my um, lungs ended up shutting down on me while I was in prison. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't urinate. Every time I went to urinate, I'm passing out and losing energy, oxygen through my urine. It was taking my breath. I'm passing out. Wow. So um, so I end up getting rushed out to the um, hospital. They come and take me out to the hospital. Then they bring me back from the hospital the same night. So at the time, I had a, a, a partner there from Cleveland. Whenever my parents come to see me, they'll bring his wife and baby's mother, his child up there. So I tell them, I say, dude, man, next time I go back out to the hospital, call my family. Because I'm not feeling well and they bring me back. I still can't breathe. So he's like, all right, I got you. So that night, I'm using the bathroom. Just got out of the shower room. I'm using the bathroom. And I can't, my, my breath is really gone. That I'm beating on the door and kicking the door, trying to catch my breath. So they really come in, they, they rush me in. They, they come rushing into the room because my celly called them. They come rushing in the room. They rush me down to the family while all while I'm still trying to fight and catch my breath. I'm steady telling them I can't breathe. So they end up putting me on oxygen, call the ambulance, rush me out. I get to the uh, hospital. 
I tell him again, I said, I have to use the bathroom. He said, bathroom right there. So I, I said, is it cool to go? Like, yeah, you ain't going to raise shackles. So I look down, I got shackles on. So I'm trying to walk to the bathroom. And as I'm trying to walk with the shackles and cuffs on, I'm losing my breath again. That I end up falling. So they rushed the cart up under me and put me on the cart. Helped me in the bathroom here. And that's the last thing I remember. This was like October of 2009. Wow. And I can't urinate, so I'm passed out. When I wake up, we in January of 2010. I was in a coma that whole time. Now, mind you, this is something I know from being in prison. This is something I watch happen. If you're in prison and you get sick and don't have no family, they're going to let you die. Really? Yeah, because they had called my mom and told her and my dad that if you want to see your son again for the last time, you need to hurry up and get up to Boston. The same. My mother came all the way to Boston. They went to the little hospital and they had to find her. But when they found me, they wouldn't let her see me. Then when she, she said when she did get the chance to see me, I was laying on life support, shackled to the bed. Oh my! And I, so I know for a fact that I don't watch them when they bring people back from like like I say, Devon's is the mental hospital where when you get sick, had you sick. I don't watch them bring people back, put them in the basement of the jail, and you next time you see them again. They're carrying them out on the gurney with toe tag. So if you don't, so if, you, if people go to jail with no family support, nobody that's calling, telling them nobody writing them, or they're not calling, nobody making phone calls or anything, they're gonna die if they get up getting sick because they don't care. And then, like even when you do get sick, you go through what you're going through. They still not gonna care for you like you're a human being until they see that your family is with you. But once my, like I said, when I was going through that whole ordeal, they was dogging me for real. They, they, they weren't showing no respect. But once my mother and sister and my dad and got to showing up and calling and, I, and my family's checking on me, now I'm starting to get grade A treatment. Wow. And I, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair for like the ones that really don't have no family. So, so after, after I made it through all that, I still had maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. Now I'm on dialysis in prison. How crazy is all this? If such things were to take place in a hospital on the outside, the doctor would have been held responsible in a heartbeat. Either that, or the issue itself likely wouldn't have happened in the first place. This seems to be how things are for inmates, though. Because of the stigma placed upon them, they're viewed as low priority. Invariably seen as tainted, they're treated as less than human, even though they just made a few wrong choices, as all of us have. Then they're locked away in a place that forces them to continue making such choices in order to survive. That doesn't help in the outside world, and the system does little to address that, which is precisely what we'll talk about in part two. Join us again next time here on Justice Uncovered.